So we are continuing, uh, as I said, to think about the fruit of the Spirit. And uh, in, just a reminder, in Galatians 5, Paul says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And these are qualities that we ought to be able to observe uh, in the life of every Christian believer. Uh, a sign of the work of the Holy Spirit in us and with us to make us more like Jesus. And today uh, we are looking at kindness. And I'm going to speak about kindness manifested and the plan of God. Kindness manifested and the plan of God. So if you look at me in Ruth 1 verse 1. It says, in the days when the judges ruled. Now, why is that important? Firstly, um, the time of the judges um, was pretty chaotic. Uh, if you know the book of Judges, uh, the judges were sort of chieftains. Uh, they were put in charge of the people of God. Uh, when God led his people out of uh, Egypt and into the land, uh, it was, God was absolutely clear with them. Don't appoint a king. Um, you're going to have these judges, because God himself will be your king. And a phrase that comes up a few times in the book of Judges uh, is this. It says, in those days there was no king in Israel. All the people did what was right in their own eyes. That doesn't sound good, does it? Everyone just doing what is right in their own eyes. Secondly, a time was coming when the people of God would have had enough with this um, and that they would basically beg God for some order and they would ask for a king like all the other nations. And so the original reader of the book of Ruth is probably living in the time of the kings uh, and so they're probably noticing that opening phrase uh, in the days when the judges ruled and thinking, ah, oh, this will be the transition story when we went from having judges to a king. This is going to give me background on that. That's how the plan of God fits into the wider, it fits into the wider narrative of this story. It's the wider narrative of the whole Bible. Uh, that's the overarching plan of God. Uh, but the immediate narrative, what's actually happening to the characters in this book, is they're in the context of chaos, they're in the context of um, anarchy. Ruth 1 verse 1. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. So there's sort of quite a chaotic society, there's also a famine, uh, and we're introduced to that string of characters. A man from Bethlehem, where have we heard of Bethlehem before? I wonder if that will be important. Uh, his wife and his two sons. And they moved to Moab. Moab was an enemy kingdom to the, to the people of God. Uh, if you're wondering where it is, it's part of modern-day Jordan. So there's, there's chaos, there's famine, and now they're living in sort of enemy territory. And the first part of the book of Ruth is very much about tragedy. Uh, if you read with me in verse 2. The man's name was Elimelech. His wife's name was Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malan and Kilian. They were Ephraites from Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to Moab and lived there. Now, names were very important in their culture. Uh, the names of the two sons, Malon and Kilian, they mean sickness and destruction. I know. <laughs> uh, yeah. 
Now, we're kind of going, oh, that's a bit weird to name your children that, but actually it wasn't that weird in those days, because names usually, they either described something to do with the circumstances of the child's birth, um, so perhaps there was uh, difficulty in, in birth, and that's why they have those names, or something in their future. They could be predictive uh, as well, and it wasn't unusual for people to have negative names. Any Melech, Naomi, Malan, and Killian, the family of sickness and destruction, living in a foreign land, enemy territory, having left behind famine, living amongst sickness and destruction. So Eli Melech then dies. It's another tragedy in this family. And Naomi's left with the two sons. In verse 4, we're told, they married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. So Sickness and destruction, the two children, they marry Orpah and Ruth. And Orpah's name means the nape of the neck. Quite strange as well. Uh, the nape of the neck. And they had lived there uh, about ten years. It's verse, uh, verse 4 again. Uh, both Malon and Killian also died, and Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. So here we are again, more tragedy uh, for this family. Uh, there's been famine, there's now living in foreign lands, the husband dies, and now the sons die too. And you'll, you will notice that so far, um, that God's not been mentioned. It's quite strange that, that God's not been mentioned. The only vague mention to God is Elimelech's name, um, which means my God is king. But God is not mentioned so far. Ruth is a strange book um, in that God doesn't really speak um, at all. Um, nor is much attention drawn by the narrator to what God is doing. There's a couple of references here and there, but not much. But in the next section uh, of this chapter, God begins to be explicitly mentioned by name. Uh, we begin to get hints at what God uh, is doing, his plan, and how kindness plays into it. So as we read, Naomi gets word that the Lord had provided food back home in Judah, the famine was over. So she intends to go home and Ruth and Orpah, her widowed daughters-in-law, are going to go with her. And on the road, Naomi addresses her daughters-in-law, verse 8. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go back each of you to your mother's home. Naomi was the head of this unconventional family. Uh, the two daughters-in-law had a duty to stay with her, uh, but Naomi also had the authority to dismiss them, uh, to release them from the commitment that they had to her. And to be a widow in those days uh, was shameful. It's quite strange to think of, but it was shameful. More than that, Naomi's husband had died and was buried in a foreign land, and that was also shameful. Orpah and Ruth themselves didn't have much hope in Bethlehem, uh, where not only are they associated with Naomi, um, one of that community, but also their widows themselves. At least if they return to Moab, they might be able to find a new husband. And so this is the first kindness in this story. Uh, we get the sense that Naomi loves and cares for Orpah and for Ruth. Uh, even the phrase that she uses, return to your mother's home, was unusual. That wasn't something you'd normally say. But Naomi has the mother's perspective and knows that these two, knows what these two widowed women need. She puts them ahead of herself. 
Verse 8, and Naomi said to her daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness, as you have shown kindness to your dead husband and to me. The word kindness, may the Lord show you kindness. The word kindness in Hebrew is uh, hesed. It's used throughout the book of Ruth, uh, and it's used throughout the Old Testament. And it's often translated in our Bibles as loving kindness. It's a word often associated with God. It's the kindness God shows to his people, um, particularly when he demonstrates sort of his unwavering faithfulness to his, to his promise, his loyalty to his people. And what's so lovely is Naomi prays that over Ruth and Orpah, uh, that the Lord would show that kindness, um, but also applies it to them. May the Lord show you kindness as, as you have shown the same kindness to your dead husbands and to me. Very complimentary. Ruth tells these women, I've seen the quality of God's kindness in you. Sorry, Naomi tells them, I've seen the quality of God's kindness in you, in the way you cared for your husbands, my sons, and the way you cared for me. And she kissed them farewell, but no one leaves. They all just stand there weeping. So Naomi begs them again. Verse 14, at this they wept aloud again, then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Now, Orpah wasn't doing anything wrong here. Uh, the first time someone, this is a strange cultural quirk of their day, the first time someone tells you to go, you have to go, no, no, I'm staying. And then the second time, you can then go. Uh, if he went the first time, it would be rude. It's a bit like when we as British people, we get to a door and we go, no, no, after you. And then the other person says, no, no, after you. And then you go, no, no, after you. And then you're allowed to walk through the door. Uh, it was sort of like a formula that you had to go through. So Orpah's is doing the right thing here. She's being very respectful. Uh, and she goes, and as she goes, she turns and she shows the nape of her neck. Isn't that, isn't that fun? That little detail that's kind of baked into the story. Orpah was always going to go. Uh, she was always going to show the nape of her neck. But Ruth clung on. And the word to cling there is a word used of the loyalty found in marriage. It's, it's, it's about the loyalty that um, a married couple would often have. Uh, it's sometimes used by other people to describe other relationships, but most often it actually describes that kind of deep loyalty in marriage. And clearly, uh, Ruth had such a powerful love for Naomi that only that word was good enough. So Naomi asks Ruth to go one last time. She even reminds her that her gods are waiting for her at home. And then we get this absolutely stunning amazing speech in verse 16 read with me but Ruth replied don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from me where you go I will go and where you stay I will stay your people will be my people and your God my God where you die I will die and there I will be buried may the Lord deal with me be it ever so severely if even death separates you and me isn't that incredibly kind incredibly kind. Uh, there's so much more hope, really, for Ruth by going home. But her vows of friendship to Naomi, to go where she goes, to stay where she stays, to become one of her people, to accept God as her God, to die where she dies. When I, when I was thinking of these verses, I'm, um, I'm just so grateful for for Annabelle, um, because she's not only my spouse, but my friend. 
she goes where I'll go, and you stay where I stay. My God is your God. For those of you who are married, I do pray that that is true of you, that you're not only, your spouse isn't only your spouse, but your friend. But for all of us, I pray that you have good Christian friends who are kind, like Ruth. I'm thankful for my own friends who I know would do all that Ruth promises. The story of Ruth and Naomi continues after they reach Bethlehem. Uh, it's a tough life for them to begin with. Um, Ruth finds work in a field picking leftover grain, a field belonging to a man called Boaz. It turns out that Boaz is actually the family guardian, which is a whole legal thing which we're going to go into now, but it's very important. And Naomi knows that Boaz is the only hope uh, she has to make sure that Ruth is going to be okay to return the kindness back to Ruth. And it leads, this whole story leads to uh, Boaz taking Ruth as his wife. And that's a kindness of Boaz in, in and of itself. We should, read the book of Ruth, it's only four chapters, uh, but again, do have a read. Um, it's an amazing story. Uh, and when they marry, right at the end of the book, uh, the elders of the town, they say to Boaz um, in chapter 4, then the elders and all the people at the gate said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home, like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the family of Israel, may you have standing in Etherah and be famous in Bethlehem. In Bethlehem, Through the offspring the Lord gives you by this young woman, may your family be like that of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. This is a story of kindness. This is a story of God's plan. Those words spoken over Boaz uh, and Ruth, that through his family, uh, Israel will be built up, are an incredible understatement when you really think about how this story uh, plays out. Not long after, the Lord gives Ruth a, a son, and they name that son Obed. And we're told in the end of chapter 4 that he was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Many years later, in Bethlehem, a young man was born in Bethlehem, and he would be Israel's greatest king, uh, David. No one would overshadow him in the terms of the quality of his rule or his devotion he had to God in his heart. Except King David had a son, who had a son, who had a son, and centuries after, a descendant of David, a carpenter called Joseph, engaged to a woman called Mary of Nazareth, finds that she is pregnant from the Holy Spirit with a child called Jesus the Messiah. Through the kindness of Ruth, Naomi, Boaz, God's plan was coming together. And Jesus himself says about a plan of kindness, a plan of repair. He made it his mission that we could be friends with God, that he would cling to us like Ruth clung to Naomi. He says to his disciples, we heard in John's Gospel, and by extension to us, I no longer call you servants, but friends. And like Ruth, he decided that where we go, he will go. Where we stay, he will stay. And he died the same death that we would die. But more than that, he made it so that we would die with him. If you're a Christian, you died 2,000 years ago with Jesus Christ. But 2,000 years ago, you also rose again. 
So may we know that kindness manifested and the plan of God are often very close together. May we know in difficult seasons that God is working even when we don't see it. Like Ruth, may we be manifestations of God's kindness this day and always. Amen.